Welcome to The Buzz with ACT-IAC, your source for the hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Join us each week to hear insights from government and industry experts, stay informed on the challenges facing the public sector, and gain access to valuable reports and thought leadership. Enjoy. AI has the power to automate, but if it's using untrusted data, can you trust the results? Your agency doesn't just need AI, it needs the right AI for your agency. Introducing Watson X, a platform designed to multiply output by tailoring AI to your needs. When you Watson X your agency, you can train, tune, and deploy AI all with your trusted data. Let's create the right AI for your agency with Watson X. Learn more at ibm.com federal. IBM, let's create. Hi listeners, this is Colin Larson. Among America's indigenous communities, the legacy of settler colonialism has left deep scars. As they confront disparities in health outcomes, economic development, and political attention, tribal governments must routinely do more with less to provide necessary services to their people. In addition, climate change threatens local ecologies, which many tribes rely on both culturally and economically. Indigenous leaders have no small task before them in preparing for the future. The Quinault Indian Nation, located in Washington State along the Pacific Coast, has undertaken a series of ambitious projects to address some of the unique challenges faced by tribal nations like themselves. To discuss some of these projects further, this week I'm joined by Tyson Johnston, Self-Governance Executive Director for the Quinault Indian Nation and Chairperson of the Board for Taptana Technologies, a Quinault enterprise seeking to bring high-speed broadband to Quinault territory. Tyson Johnston, thank you so much for joining me on The Buzz with ACT-IAC. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here. So we should start with some background uh, because a lot of our audience might not be familiar. Who are the Quinault? Sure. So, um, Again, I'm Tyson Johnston. Um, I'm a tribal member here at the Quinault Indian Nation. We are located on the Northwest Pacific Coast side of Washington State on the Olympic Peninsula. Um, we're a treaty tribe, a party to the Quinault River Treaty of 1855. So our kind of federal and sovereign relationship with the United States predates Washington statehood even. And We've lived in these lands and territories since time immemorial. Um, we have about a 210,000 acre reservation um, that uh, we uh, manage exclusively under our jurisdiction. We also have a large usual and accustomed territory that goes beyond our reservation borders, wherein we co-manage natural resources with the state of Washington and the federal government. That also includes the ocean. Um, you know, we're ocean navigators, ocean people. Um, natural resources, fisheries, um, forestry, all of these things are, are big um, cultural resources, economic resources, and um, it's part of our way of life. Um, we uh, have been involved in many different things in our local county. We're the largest employer in Grace Harbor, actually, and so um, provide a significant economic footprint and goods and services to our local region. And um, are involved in a number of different industries and now moving into technology to not only benefit uh, the Quinault Indian Nation and our strategic goals, but also how do we revitalize the region and bring um, value added to the state overall. Right. So 
to set up the project that, that we're going to be talking about um, is the idea of the digital divide, which has been a topic on this show before. And I'm very happy that now we have a chance to talk about an aspect of the digital divide that is underrepresented in discussions about it, which is how it affects indigenous communities. So within the Quinault, how does the digital divide manifest and, and what are the consequences of, of this divide? Absolutely. So um, there's a movement happening nationwide, um, connectivity for all. Um, at that higher macro level, we're seeing a transition of broadband and the connectivity it represents as less of a luxury and more of a utility. So a uh, necessity that's up there as far as need with like water and electricity and, and other utilities. And so um, in Indian country, Indian country is kind of like a, a loose term we use to describe uh, tribal lands and reservations and tribal property. So within Indian country, especially um, that divide is magnified. Um, for a lot of different historical reasons, um, you know, there's a lot of like confusion about jurisdictional issues. Um, federal federal lands, state lands, tribal lands are all um, different kind of legal systems. And so when you try to build or develop on a reservation um, without proper governance and proper infrastructure to support that governance, um, it becomes a kind of like a no man's land. And so when you look at um, maps across the country um, and when you see where backhaul networks have been constructed um, they should really just fall short of reservations like they build out right to the edge of the reservation and then they stop and then if you're a reservation like mine that's also in a rural location um, there's not a lot of um, drive or push from industry to develop in small markets like this because it's not um, you know considered uh, you know a business case and so all these kind of different um, historical and uh, existing issues just kind of culminate in a big, you know, wider divide on a scale here in Indian country. Um, when you look at tribal people and our different issues, um, our reservations um, are in some of the most impoverished regions of the United States. Um, it's amplified on reservations, um, health outcomes, um, the healthcare uh, quality as well as the life expectancy of native people um, is really poor compared to the average American citizen. Um, we have a crisis with our youth actually, like more than any uh, kind of random fact um, that's pretty terrible is a lot of indigenous youth have um, extremely high suicide rates um, compared to other youth uh, within their age groups. And so um, the digital divide has manifested in Quinault in many different ways. Um, you know, the pandemic and the COVID, what COVID-19 kind of required a full transition to uh, kind of like a telecommuting workforce, online education um, was really difficult and in some cases impossible uh, in tribal communities. Um, luckily, Quinault had some temporary measures in place that we've invested in. Um, we were able to connect a fiber backbone from uh, the town just off the reservation and was able to connect our government um, essential services to it. Um, so that provided a little bit of support. We also have um, developed a microwave network that shoots a free broadband signal to all of our population centers. Though those um, services are still well below industry standard, it did provide some connectivity um, for our people as we kind of went through those kind of like hyper digital divide issues that were amplified during the pandemic. And so when you're trying to participate in the global economy, you are responsible as a government to provide health care to your citizens, education, um, 
all of these things become, you know, next to impossible without proper broadband infrastructure to support it. And so um, we saw a loss of life. We saw our police officers and other folks being at a disadvantage, um, dealing with emergency management issues, EMS, paramedics, you know, being on the coastline too, like we're dealing with some pretty um, radical issues in regards to climate change and are trying to relocate villages out of harm's way. But from an emergency management perspective, um, you know, most of our population centers are in the tsunami inundation zone. So we're at the whim of kind of other warning systems and other infrastructure to support us in the event if there was a natural disaster. And so all of these things are major issues to the Quinault Nation. And Toptana is one part of an overall strategy to kind of close those gaps and make sure that we can provide an equitable essential governmental services to our people and to be competitive and in equity with other uh, local municipalities and governments. Right. So you you mentioned there's kind of this dual issue with providing um, broadband infrastructure for, from the industry side. It's a more rural area. They don't really see the economics of it. And then there's also this different jurisdictional issue, which can complicate the build-out process. So Toptana Technologies, can you kind of walk me through what is unique about this effort, um, the structure of, of the company and how it relates to the Quinault and, and what the project is that, that you all are trying to, to stand up here? Sure. So um, part of the reason why the digital divide exists, um, like in the Washington context, is there's not a lot of first mile or middle mile infrastructure that can connect the basically disconnected parts of the state. And so here in Washington, um, there hasn't been any new subsea cable landing or cable landing station um, development um, since 1999. So well over 20 years, um, we've seen just no uh, development of that kind happening here. A lot of this infrastructure is being located and built in Oregon and California. And a lot of that is due to different um, issues that are related. A lot of it is regulatory. So Washington, um, compared to Oregon and California, doesn't have streamlined regulatory processes that uh, like Oregon and California do. Outside of the um, Pacific Coast, too, where I live, there's a pretty significant marine sanctuary that's established by Congress and maintained by the federal government, which adds another layer of kind of complex um, regulatory issues. Um, and then, you know, there's just a lot of entities that have shared interest and shared values and um, have to make use with the water systems, whether that be in the ocean, the Straits of Juan de Fuca, the Puget Sound, or as we like to call it, the Sailor Sea. You know, there's economic interests, military interests, tribal interests, city interests. So it's really difficult to work through these many kind of layers um, without having a prescribed kind of consolidated process. And where Quinault Nation comes in is, um, you know, we're a very complex organization. Um, I talked about it earlier in my intro a little bit about who the Quinault people are. Um, since we're a treaty tribe with a co-management relationship, we engage with resources and regulatory of those resources in a different way than you would see from a typical a business venture. Um, there's a government to government relationship that exists there. There's a sovereign to sovereign um, kind of legal uh, issues that, you know, are different than, you know, typical folks that engage, would engage in development of, you know, the infrastructure we're building out. And so bringing that to the table and to bear um, 
Toptana Technologies um, was created by the Quinault tribe to close the digital divide and connect um, the unconnected. And so um, it's our mission to land uh, and develop a new cable landing station here with uh, to start uh, for cable landing opportunities. Um, we're working through that process since about 2018 after doing you know our due diligence, so feasibility studies, go-to-market strategy, um, environmental impact analysis and marine analysis, um, being on the coast and our geography and just the tribe's um, authorities as a sovereign nation, um, we're kind of uniquely able to uh, provide a solution to industry that meets their timeline because all these issues that I mentioned are pretty cumbersome and these cables um, that are, you know, connecting continents and creating, uh, you know, the broadband and uh, internet connectivity, you know, are hundreds of million dollars of capital expenditure from, you know, teleco companies, hyperscalers, what have you. And so without certainty, they're going to have a safe place to land and within a reasonable amount of time, it's just not going to work um, in most cases, um, can make or break, you know, projects. And so, Toptana Technologies is aiming to close that gap and, you know, give people a competent and safe place to land that meets those timeframes and also um, providing, you know, solutions to our region and community here. Um, Toptana is a variation of the Quinault word for a beach or coastline. So um, it just felt appropriate to kind of name our company and have it rooted in that, um, you know, Quinault culture and Quinault values are paramount to us. You know, I'm new fairly new to, you know, this industry and <laughs> the lingo and uh, corporate nature of it. And so I've learned a lot about uh, ESG, you know, environmental, social and governance, um, which is really interesting because, you know, the foundations of ESG are really just inherent and um, foundational to tribal values anyway. And so um, we are also, you know, very uh, concerned about, you know, impacts to the environment, to the world, want to leave it better than we found it. And so Toptana is, you know, one of our founding principles is being a responsible uh, business and committed to, you know, those principles of ESG, but even at a heightened way because of our uh, tribal values and commitments we have to protect our resources for not only today, but the next seven generations. So you mentioned that Toptana technologies and its relationship to the Quinault Nation is not the same as how we would expect, you know, a private company within Washington state to operate. And there's a government to government relationship between the state and the Quinault Nation. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how that positions Toptana uniquely to deal with a lot of the challenges that you've mentioned earlier. And I don't, we'll see how much in the weeds I want to get here about just the governance structure overall of this. Because I, I think this, it's not like a public-private partnership. It's its something unique. And I think that's very interesting. You know, my previous background before um, I got into being, because I'm the, the chairman of the board for Top Town of Technologies, I was the tribe's vice president. I was in elected office for 10 years. And I spent the majority of my career in elected office here working on kind of natural resources policy environmental impact issues, climate change issues. So I just was really familiar, um, you know, with, you know, some of those processes and then just saw, you know, just the power of technology, the utility and um, just benefits it can bring to kind of make meaningful life change and quality of life change is really what uh, draw me in to continue, you know, supporting this effort. And so, yes, um, 
I mean, I think it's it's safe to call, you know, what we're doing as a public-private partnership, but it's um, not a typical one in that um, people don't usually think of tribes, you know, as, you know, a governmental entity or a public entity, uh, a typical public entity um, that could be a potential partner and solution creator for these issues. And so um, when, when I say, like, we're uniquely poised or have, you know, um, added ability to uh, work through difficult uh, regulatory processes, it's because Within uh, many laws, um, in fact, all laws, especially us as a co-manager and self-regulatory tribe of our resources, it's required under federal and state law to consult with tribes and to work with tribes through all the issues that would typically, uh, you know, delay projects. So whether that's uh, environmental analysis, treaty rights impact, um, cultural resources, you know, these are all typical things that someone that files an application with the Army Corps of Engineers or the State Department of Natural Resources or, you know, there's several, like, there's hundreds of permits that, you know, you have to work through land cables and also, you know, permit them and uh, at the federal and the state level. And so having the tribe as kind of a dedicated uh, public partner um, and, you know, the ch chartering entity of Toptana Technologies, it allows us to work through those, you know, um, bureaucratic issues at a higher level and with um, added expediency because of that um, sovereign relationship that that we maintain um, as the Quinault Indian Nation through our treaty and through intergovernmental agreements. So uh, you talked about a lot of the challenges, of course, that the Quinault faced, particularly during the pandemic uh, with the lack of connectivity. Um, so hopefully this project you know, would address a lot of those challenges. What other benefits uh, are the Quinault hoping to to realize from this, you know, from high quality uh, broadband connection? Absolutely. Um, you know, we when we first got in this effort, um, you know, when we actually like looked at the data and saw like, well, how severe is our problem? Like, you know, once you realize you have a problem and you want to find a solution, it's best to, you know, develop that innovation to address it through data. And so, we looked at, you know, what what is currently servicing the reservation, our population centers, what uh, barriers and problems exist as they do today. And something that I've always carried with me when I get to have these discussion is that, so the our reservation is probably the third biggest in Washington state. It's a pretty large land base. It's well over 210,000 acres. Plus we, uh, you know, have to manage and um, protect a lake, uh, three river systems and even uh, river systems off the reservation. So it's a pretty large footprint. But within that footprint, um, before the Quinault's um, intervention um, and you know added infrastructure investment, one household in um, Portland, Oregon, you know, that's near data center campuses, metropolis, you know, type area, one household there had more access as far as broadband and bandwidth than our whole reservation. So all of our population centers, um, our whole 210,000 acre footprint, literally is sharing um, capacity uh, that was maybe a fourth or a fifth of what one household in, in Portland, Oregon, you know, was able to enjoy. And so once we saw, you know, just how deep that divide was, I mean, that really opened our eyes and, you know, just kind of pushed us to come up with different solutions, even if it doesn't get us to you know, what the FCC considers, you know, minimum standard, um, which, you know, right now, I think one third has no service and two thirds has some 
very small, like low level service. Um, that's kind of what opened our eyes and, you know, has have us working, you know, overall as a government, um, not only to support and stand up top Tana, but how do we get to that last leg where we're bringing fiber to the home and um, resources to government schools and, and other, uh, you know, public, you know, systems that we need here within our community. So the FCC standard for broadband is 25 megabits per second download and five megabits per second upload. That's the minimum. That's still pretty low. Um, but it's so it's important to remember that uh, for the audience, that that's what we're talking about here. You know, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, Quinault's uniquely vulnerable to, you know, climate change and tsunami inundation. Um, under the current um, warning system structure and that exists now off of our coast, our all of our lower villages would probably get around eight minutes of notice to kind of get out of harm's way. And, you know, our school districts down there, um, we have a lot of elders and um, senior citizens in the lower villages that that's just not going to work. And so what these cables do, though, is allow us to, you know, work with other, you know, kind of regional partners to add smart technology to them. So we would be able to basically connect with this larger emergency management network and, um, detect seismic activity on the ocean floor and get people out of harm's way with an added warning of up to an, an hour. So we would go from eight minutes to even an hour and, and a warning for that. And that's that's huge. And, you know, being in a rural location, you know, outside of trying to attract, you know, um, development to regions like this, you know, depending on what you're talking about, it's hard. So there's a lot of workforce gaps in the workforce issues you're seeing that are happening in rural parts of the state. Um, that's especially true in tribes. So hard. it's really hard to attract, you know, and maintain like long-term personnel. And this really hurts our healthcare system. So getting good providers out here and providers that can, um, you know, support the unique health issues that Indigenous people face is impossible sometimes or really difficult to do. So having infrastructure that could connect our clinics and health systems to telehealth and telemedicine opportunities is one thing that we can't do under our current infrastructure. But if we're able to build this out as we envision, you know, we'd be able to provide that here. Um, our school systems would be able to, you know, fully enhance and work with their curriculum, you know, that usually has an online component now or online testing component. Um, it just, you know, across the board, you know, kind of adds to these quality of life benefits, um, healthcare, education, um, enforcement and emergency management. and Overall, you know, um, providing this kind of laying the groundwork for a greater ecosystem of um, economic development and investment in a really poor region of the state and a really underserved region of the state. Now, closing the digital divide and increasing broadband access, this has been a priority at the federal level uh, for the past few years. You know, there was funding for this as part of the bipartisan infrastructure bill. So I'm curious, you're on the ground, you're in you know, in a, in a community that desperately needs this, this kind of support, are you receiving it? Are there gaps? You know, are you getting the assistance from state and federal entities that is needed to, to address projects like this? Yeah, I mean, um, that's a, a difficult question, because I think there's definitely, from what I've seen with state partners, with federal partners, there is a good understanding of what the issues are in Indian country and in the rural parts of, of the country. Um, 
Though I will say, I think the FCC and their data collection process that kind of informs their reports are, in my opinion, probably very underrepresented. So I think they have a good grasp on what like the root causes and like the big picture is of the issue that exists in locations like mine. But I still think it it's much more deeper or at a higher level than even, you know, they were able to produce. And so there's other kind of like private reports um, that have been sponsored by Microsoft and other entities that kind of take a deeper dive into that, um, which I think we reference in um, uh, Top Tano's uh, ebook about the digital divide. So um, those resources, you know, there's been historic investment, you know, that we've never seen. Um, there's even been an historic investment that's been tribally focused too. So um under the the act that you mentioned, um, there was about a billion dollar investment um, that was targeted toward tribal communities. So that was housed as the Tribal Broadband Connectivity Program, TBCP, um, which was administered by the NTIA, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. Um, though, you know, that was a pretty historic investment. And there was even a second, um, you know, nearly billion dollar uh, investment after that. And then from a different act, uh, the Budget Consolidation Act, um, it still fell like well short of what, you know, the projected need is in Indian country. Like, I think it was a $2 billion investment, but we're looking at more of like a five to $6 billion uh, necessity that's really needed to close the existing digital divide as it is today in, in Indian country and communities close to us. So, um, Quinault, you know, we, um, this project is the first of its kind. Um, no other tribe, I believe, has, you know, developed and owned a cable landing station before. And so, um, you know, I, our project um, was pretty unique and um, we, received um, uh, equity payment from the first round of the TBCP to support the effort. It was around, you know, 500,000, which, you know, we're really thankful for, but that still falls well short of like what's needed for the overall kind of capital expenditure that's required, you know, building backhaul terrestrial networks are really expensive cable landing stations on the coast um, that meet, you know, the high level industry standards and certifications is very expensive. And so, um, uh, even though we we see those resources and kind of historical opportunities happening, um, a lot of the funding, because of that kind of lack of understanding of what infrastructure exists in these no man land areas like Indian country, has seen a lot of that investment go to um, last mile projects. So projects that, um, you know, basically connect fiber to the home or do, you know, the last investment needed to bring those services directly to communities. And that's good, but, um, you know, without addressing that root infrastructure issue, um, you know, that's not going to address a uh, tribe like mine. So Quinault Nation's issues um, are not going to get addressed unless there's an investment in first mile and middle mile infrastructure to even give us the opportunity to build out, you know, those kind of last mile projects. And so, um, that's, you know, what Toptana's, you know, overall, you know, aim is. It's not really a last mile um, uh, resource we're developing. It's more of the first mile and middle mile aspect. And so, um, you know, um, if we're going to close this gap, you know, it's going to take continued uh, public-private partnership. But I'd also say there needs to be a, a higher call to action towards those kind of investments for first mile and middle mile development. Um especially in communities like mine that don't even have that infrastructure to to serve them if we were to receive, you know, federal or state funding to 
to address these issues. Uh, so for the audience, I will post links in the episode notes. Uh, there are maps on Taptana's website that illustrate the route of the proposed project, which I think is important for people to sort of get a visualization of. So be sure to check those out. I want to shift a little bit the conversation to things you mentioned earlier, which is the effects of climate change on the Quinault Nation and the uh, adaptation strategies that are being pursued. So the village of Tahola, I know now, is is currently in the process of being relocated further from the coast away from, as you mentioned, the tsunami inundation zone and a region that is now at risk. Can you tell me a little bit more about the long-term strategy that the Quinault Nation is is pursuing as it relates to climate change and the effects of climate change on the Quinault in, in general? Absolutely. Um, you know, climate change issues and their impacts are um, something that's deeply felt here in my homeland and, you know, with our people that are so connected to our our land, our waters, and our resources, they cradle. And so um, we, you know, exist under constant threat from, you know, a, you know, inundating tsunami event. Um, there's overall um, sea level rise happening um, that's putting our villages at risk. And these are contributing to some pretty major um, erosion issues on our coastline, um, erosion and accretion issues. So erosions when the coastline shrinking and accretions where the coastline grows and depending on where you're looking at it you know both of those things prevent pretty big challenges to um basic things um, like uh, emergency access routes transportation um access to goods and services and you know um, healthcare. you know if you have an emergency and so we're seeing erosion and accretion issues happen across the um our borders and territories, sea level rise, um, uh, the extreme weather, you know, that's only, you know, getting worse with kind of like the hotter the atmosphere uh, is getting, you know, with all the carbon that we're releasing into the environment. Um, we're seeing wildland fire um, happen in the Pacific Northwest um, that I've never seen before in all of my life. And so um, having to deal with this new normal of living under, you know, fire season throughout the summer and the smoke and, you know, blocking out of the sun, you know, it's just, it just feels different. And it's felt um, in a way where, you know, this is really happening. And so um, tribal communities that live in places like this, you know, are feeling these effects first. You know, one thing I also forgot to mention, you know, being like a, a fishing and ocean people, um, the conditions of the ocean are changing too. You know, the increased temperature, the acidification effect that's kind of happening um, uh, in the ocean waters and marine environment, you know, it's creating these kind of no oxygen zones, it's creating these, um, uh, allowing for invasive species that have never existed in our, our lands before to kind of take root. So all of these things are culminating to, you know, a, a death by a hundred cuts to our way of life. And so to kind of move forward with that and in tandem with this kind of new normal, um, Quinault's undertaking a very extensive village relocation. Um, you know, it's, you can't really engineer yourself um, out of mother nature. The best thing you could do is to live in harmony with it and get out of harm's way if, if possible. And so we are uh, relocating our lower villages um, of Queets and Tahola um, to higher ground that we've been able to secure um, We've done this uh, through a pretty extensive master planning process and 
are now kind of at that implementation phase where we have different shovel-ready projects, some um, housing development, water infrastructure, telecom industry infrastructure, i.e. Toptana, um, uh, all of that to kind of uh, build new neighborhoods and uh, kind of get our critical infrastructure out of the tsunami inundation zones and into more safe and secure locations. And so here in Tohola, that's where we're pretty far along in that. Um, we've received uh, uh, outside of the tribal investment, um, pretty significant investment from both the state and the federal government to kind of start building um, new neighborhoods and a new school district and, and all these kind of critical things we need. Um, but we still have a very long way to go. I mean, it's um, you know, we're looking at like a 300 to $400 million capital investment that would be required to fully relocate people out of harm's way. And then if you go north to our Queets village, um, you know, we're not as far along in that process. And so our, you know, we're able to receive an investment to do an extensive master plan um, for that community as well. And so all of these things, you know, are, you know, part of, you know, an ancillary part of Toptana's mission, you know, we want to, um, from a, you know, economic standpoint, be able to provide and generate revenue that will help the tribe accomplish those strategic goals. And also, you know, being a uh, resource to kind of close that digital divide and make sure our new communities are built in such a way where they have, you know, fiber to the home and industry standard access like you would see anywhere else. So um, it's a pretty major issue. It's um, probably going to be the issue of my generation and uh, the several generations that will follow me. It's just uh, what we have to work with. And our land is so important to us. You know, this is, there's so many things about where I live that are intrinsic to my identity and my people's identity. And so we want to, you know, be adaptive um, to what's happening and continue to uh, be able to live here in our homelands that we've lived here since forever, time immemorial, forever. In the long term, this is a tough thing to think about, I think, because there's so much uncertainty related to how climate change will impact the shape of our world in the future. And it is it is so difficult to plan for. So I'm I'm wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about the long-term economic development goals for the Quinault Nation, uh, how Toptana plays into that. Uh, we've, we've, we've touched on this a bit. I'd, I'd like to hear more. Absolutely. Um, so uh, typically, I mean, in the Washington context or Northwest context, there's really a, a common kind of business portfolio. You see tribal entities get under um a lot of this is because either just it makes sense in the region, there's, you know, legal uh, uh, issues that, you know, favor us towards different things. So you see like a lot of tribes that have tribal gaming opportunities. So casinos and resorts, um, we uh, have pretty big retail opportunities here at Quinault, you know, seafood and timber, you know, all those things are big industries we've always um, engaged in and have had seen um, pretty large success in. Um, but, you know, moving forward, it still falls well short of what's required for a tribe like mine to provide, you know, the, the basic essential government services that's needed to um, uh, have, have and maintain a healthy population, families and individuals. And so moving into the technology sector, I think, is a strategic move for Quinault because 
not only is, you know, the, the subsea and the ocean fiber element, you know, uh, a new opportunity that um, is unique and um, uh, we're uniquely suited to do it, having this new infrastructure come to this region will also kind of lay the groundwork for a larger ecosystem of other technology opportunities. So whether, um, you know, we look at becoming an internet service provider or we want to get into other um, industries like uh, for-profit healthcare, um, the tribe, you know, completely separate from this, um, uh, Grace Harbor County has a pretty significant chemical dependency and mental health crisis that exists here. And so tribes in, you know, just from kind of like those sovereign um, uh uh, abilities that we have to bring to bear. Um, we we see across the state, and Quinault's one of them, we've established very extensive wellness centers that provide um, on-the-ground wraparound services for people that are struggling with chemical dependency and mental health issues. And so we've built that here um, within our region, and I've seen a lot of success kind of getting people um, uh, services, resources, and treatment for these kind of extensive um, issues that just permeate in poor communities and impoverished communities. And so having the technology to, you know, bridge um, service provider needs and uh, health record protection, cloud storage, all of that, you know, those are all things that will only enhance Quinault's desire to also work in that sector too. And so um, seeing us move more in like the healthcare field, the technology field and laying the groundwork for an ecosystem to maybe get into other uh, technology opportunities are all kind of part of our, our long-term strategy. Um, the tribe has a lot of properties that are, you know, off reservation too. So we're looking at expanding, you know, existing economic opportunities that um, we have now, but also, you know, how do we uh, prepare for, you know, what this new ecosystem um, could be and look like and how do we make this an attractive region to uh, not only revitalize the tribe's um, uh, economic standing, but our region, you know, um, our region that's very underserved and very impoverished and just has a lot of these other kind of social issues that are preventing us from being, you know, um, active and productive and equal participants in the um, uh, United States and global economy. I feel like I just gave you a big old answer. <laughs> that was like, no, that, that really was great. <laughs> um, all of your answers are so comprehensive. Well, I've been like thinking about this, you know, I mean, this is where I plan to spend the rest of my day. So I have a lot of like nieces and nephews, um, family. I mean, um, how do we, I really want to give them, you know, leave the world better than I found it and make sure that our kids are, are given their best chance. Um, you know, resiliency, adaptability, innovation, um, that's just, you know, what we have to do. And, you know, a way you mentioned earlier, it, it's difficult to plan for the impacts of climate change. And, and it really is, you know, a lot of it is, you know, unless it's rooted in science, um, it's still hard to, you know, predict what those outcomes are, but, you know, there is, you know, a lot of advancement that we're seeing in that arena. And, you know, I think historical and current tribal knowledge is essential to those conversations to inform that greater work we have to do as a society to know what's happening with the climate and what are the solutions we as, you know, human people could do to, to work through it. And, you know, until we kind of change our mindset, it's going to change a total a total mindset shift needs to happen where we quit thinking just today in our lifetime, but we have to look generations down the road. Like, 
not only how are we going to provide impacts and um, resiliency, not only for this next 20 years, but we have to start thinking in the scale of centuries, the scale of several generations, and how are the choices that we make today, the investments we make today going to ripple through time and impact that future. And so that's what I mean about kind of like this consciousness shift we need to make as a society is how do we stop thinking about me and today and the short window of tomorrow and instead think in the terms of centuries and the next seven generations? I completely agree, and I could not have possibly said it better than you just did. Tyson Johnston, thank you so much for joining me. Tyson is the self-governance executive director, formerly the vice president for the Quinault Indian Nation, and he is also the chairperson of the board for Taptana Technologies. Tyson, any final thoughts? Just that um, I really enjoyed this conversation. And, you know, I view what we're doing here at Quinault and with Toptana as kind of a small part of a larger, you know, web that needs to be interconnected. Um, you know, all of us are impacted by these issues at some level. And if we really want to, you know, move forward um, with a shift that really provides fairness and equity, it's going to take, you know, these public-private partnerships, um, the strategic thinking and investments and, really making sure that everybody has a, a seat at the table. And so um, rural communities, tribal communities, you know, we we are a, a part of this too. And we need to also be at the table to make sure that, you know, our solutions and innovation is uh, brought to bear, but also included in what we need to protect our communities and be the most resilient as possible. And that's a wrap on The Buzz with act Join us next week for more hot topics and top issues affecting the federal technology market. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on Twitter at ActIAC. More information about today's show can be found in the episode notes. For more insights, visit www.actiac.org. Thanks for listening.